0: Trigger warning, this podcast episode contains discussions of emotional and narcissistic abuse. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Emotional Abuse is Real. I'm your host, Serene Leeds, and I'm so glad you're here. I really mean that. The world is an absolute mess right now, and I would completely understand if you weren't in the mood to listen to a podcast about emotional and narcissistic abuse. So if you're still here and listening, thank you so much. So shifting gears, uh, here is my weekly reminder that emotional abuse is real, still needs your support, and there are several ways you can do that. First of all, if you're a listener and you'd like to share your story, please don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram at sereneleadswrites. That's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S. You can also reach out via our Emotional Abuse is Real Facebook page or via email at hello at com. A reminder that anonymous guests are always welcome. Another way you can support Emotional Abuse is Real is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and both leaving a rating and writing a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find this podcast. Finally, you can support the podcast by following me on Instagram at Serene Leads and following our Facebook page, Emotional Abuse is Real. And if you are able, please consider donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page, which I've linked in the show notes. As I've said before, this is a one-woman operation, and your donations help fund the podcast's production costs. I'd also like to remind you about my free newsletter. This is a great opportunity to stay up to date on my latest published articles, as well as new podcast episodes. Also, it's a wonderful way to stay in touch with me directly, especially if you are a business or brand owner looking to punch up your website, email, or social media copy. I am available to work with you on any writing or editing you may need with your business and brand copy. Plus, as an added bonus, I send out a free delicious dessert recipe to every new subscriber. I've left the sign up link in the show notes, and you can also subscribe directly via my website, sereneleadsrights.com. My guest for today's episode is Dr. Carrie McAvoy. Dr. McAvoy is a licensed psychologist as well as a narcissistic abuse survivor. She has channeled her experiences into a thriving career as an expert in toxic relationships through her book. Love You More, her podcast, Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, and Influential Social Media Presence. I am honored to welcome Dr. McAvoy to Emotional Abuse is Real, and so appreciate her insights during our chat. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Carrie McAvoy.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Carrie kerr I'm a licensed psychologist with over 20 years of counseling experience, and I'm the author of Love You More, The Harrowing Tale of Lies, Sex Addiction, and Double Cross. And these days, I primarily promote narcissistic abuse awareness on various social platforms and have a podcast of my own called Breaking Free from
0: Narcissistic Abuse. Excellent. Then you're the perfect person to be on my podcast because... This podcast is all about sharing stories and raising awareness about emotional and narcissistic abuse. So I am thrilled that you're here because not only are you a survivor of narcissistic abuse, but you have also channeled that experience into wor- into the work that you do now And you're also a rare podcast guest in the sense that you're able to offer both a survivor's perspective as well as a clinician's perspective. So as you said, uh, you have written a book about your experiences, but for those listeners who haven't read the book, can you please share what you can about your personal narcissistic abuse story? Yeah, I think it's
1: best if I start back that I was counseling. I had a private practice, mm-hmm. um, had a family, was married to a really decent man, had three growing sons, and then we lost him to cancer in mm-hmm. 19, uh, 2015. So here I okay. am in my early 50s, and I'm widowed. And I've never, yeah. I wasn't in the dating scene. I didn't really understand. I mean, I'd met him when I was 19, you know, just fresh sure. out of, freshly in college. So that was my whole adult experience. And I got into the dating realm. And uh, after a year of dating, I met somebody I thought was amazing, checked all the boxes and Mm -hmm. ended up in a marriage that I learned two months into it, that it was basically not what I thought it was that I had married a stranger. Mm. So the book describes this, this waking up to the reality of that something's incredibly wrong. Now, interestingly enough, when I wrote the story and I started it as the marriage was ending, mm-hmm. I hadn't, I didn't have uh, the terminology for what I had survived. You know, Interestingly enough, the field of mental health of psychology Hasn't really focused a whole lot on relationship dynamics that happen with people who are very abusive or predatory. I mean, we look at mm-hmm. domestic violence, but we haven't really explored the impact of a relationship on a person who's uh, relatively healthily healthy functioning until they get into this relationship. So here I'm in this relationship. I know he has narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't diagnose him, but I, I recognize some of the traits. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that uh, that there was this that this this kind of almost like a syndrome happening, this this way of which the relationship was unfolding, I thought it was something unique to us. So the book really describes that. It's written like a novel. It's written as if uh, you're living the experience with me and going through it. And I know it's hard for people to read. For one, it can be quite triggering because it's very Mm -hmm. graphic. But it also, um, you know, I wrote it that way partly because I wanted people to know that I understood that, that any, this can happen to anyone, that it is not unique to people who are somehow more vulnerable in some way that, that you can be somebody who has their life together and, and maybe even know a lot about relationships like myself and still get into an abusive relationship. Kind of surprisingly, you know, it was very, I I was very taken back by what happened and trying to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the book is, is the experience of what happened to me. Since then I've I've learned a whole lot about the topic. Not, I mean, I always knew a lot about pers- narcissistic personality disorder, but I've yeah. since learned a lot about what happens in the in the dynamics of these very difficult, challenging relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the work that you do in in the sense that you're directly focusing on narcissistic abuse is so important. It's it's why I started uh, this podcast, because I still feel like these topics are not discussed enough, and they're also not understood enough. So that's why I look to get as many voices as I can on this podcast, to just to help raise awareness and to educate that this is a type of abuse that is out there, and it's like my, the title of my podcast says, it's very, very real. mm mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I'm really glad that you're here. So what would you say are some of the most conspicuous examples or symptoms that that signify that someone is an emotional or narcissistic abuser? I would say
1: the love bombing is incredibly intoxicating and yeah. it's very difficult to see through you. You, you, think you really met an incredible person. I mean, I actually, after the relationship was over, felt grief that that mm-hmm. person didn't exist. I, I thought I'd met a real person. Yeah, uh, Flawed, you know, sure. He had some little bit of issues, but the person I ended up with was not the person I had met. And so that, that makes it really hard is how do you know that you're not meeting a real person? And even the idea um I'm autistic so I'm kind of like what you see is what you get I'm very literal the idea that you would present not just put your best foot forward everybody does that but you would actually present a persona that you believe the other person wants to meet in order to get them into the relationship I don't think every narcissist knows that it's a trap but it ends up feeling like the one who's in who meets this individual they feel conned they feel duped so it's really hard to identify something that's too good to be true. I guess that's my mm-hmm. first warning is watch out for that. If you're feeling like this person really ticks all the boxes, you might want to step back and think, why? You know, uh, are, are you seeing the whole picture of this person? Are you getting to see what they're like with their coworkers? Or what are they like with their family members? What are the, Do they have long-term friends? I mean, I think that was one of the signs I missed early on is this person didn't have a lot of extra relationships in his life. His mm-hmm. life was really really narrow and and with few interests and I should have seen that as a warning flag cuz here's a we're not talking about a 20-year-old I'm talking about nearly a 50-year-old man whose interest was too narrow too mm. specific and that that should have been a red flag this person is hyper focused on something and it's not really developed themselves in a lot of different directions so I would say that's that's one warning to watch mm-hmm. out for um, I think another one is that they they um their their charm and charisma and all this flattery though know, there's a which is really feels great but yeah there's a piece of it that's a bit um, controlling mm-hmm. uh, as if they want things to go their way and they're kind of testing your compliance with that. Mm-hmm. I remember an early example was uh my first date with him and he was out of state so he had to fly in so I knew it was going to be a lo- a day long date when we went out to the beach in the fall and I he wanted to carry everything down to the to the edge of the water and he wouldn't let me help and I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm, you know, I've raised kids and had a family and I'm very capable. I can do this, but he insisted. That he had to do that, yeah. and yes, you can see that as well. Why would you not like that? Wouldn't anybody love chivalrous behavior? But the the need of it, the insistence to the point of almost being rude around it. To me, I should have seen that as also. That's a little rigid, you know. Mm-hmm. That person really has to have things their way. But it's these subtle things you know now granted i saw flexibility in other areas where i thought he was like very accommodating and very you know relaxed with me so it's easy to overlook these things as possible red flags i think the thing that i would love to have people remember is that everybody puts off red flags when we're anxious mm-hmm. but but if you but if you stay i think what i did was i moved too fast to trust and if we mm-hmm. stay a little bit I hate the word guarded, but it really is the best word. If you stay a little bit like objective, observing, Mm -hmm. you can pick up that some things feel off and then you can test them over time. Do they stay off over time? Mm -hmm. You know, if I, that controlling behavior, I could have seen it show up here and then there and then there and then there, but I didn't continue to watch for it. I excused it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another kind of error that a lot of us make is we excuse things because we often... Put ourselves in that place, and we give our explanation for that behavior instead of seeing that behavior for what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and also because we we want the relationship to work, we right. want to be happy, and we and I feel like we tell ourselves, "Well, nobody's perfect, so you know, let's just let that one slide." But it is so important to be mindful of these kinds of behaviors. Yeah. So, yeah, I was,
1: I got to interview Sandra Brown. She wrote the book, Uh women who love psychopaths. Amazing. Uh, I just (laughs) love her work. Groundbreaking work. I feel in this area. And I, in the interview, I got to ask her, what percentage of the world do you think is predatory? I'm not just talking dysfunctional. I'm talking predatory people who are actually um, exploitive, manipulative she yeah. said roughly 20%. She said our problem yeah. is we don't educate people to watch for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I I believe that. I I believe that. Like how do you educate people so that they don't go through life frightened but they're but they're aware. Right. Um yeah, that's something well, that's something that I'm dealing with with my daughter right now. Like how much information do I give her without Making her feel frightened of the world, right? So, yeah, that's yeah, it's tr- really it's important. tricky
1: because even I, I've noticed, and I I haven't I I need to like ask the audience, you know, my the, the people who listen to whatever I say, I I really need to ask them this, but I've noticed a trend, and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear if you're noticing it too. Sure, is that I noticed that a lot of them report that after they get out of these relationships, they're agoraphobic, they really struggle leaving the house, they struggle getting out, they struggle wanting to meet new people that their world becomes increasingly small because they, they realize that a lot of, a lot of us, me too, you get out of these relationships and you've realized that's not my first toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've had friends like this, or Mm -hmm. my family's not very healthy. Or you start to see that there's this pattern around you that you have acclimated to bad behavior. And so in order to heal, you kind of have to cleanse the board and start over. But That can leave you, like you just said with your daughter, that can leave you really scared to meet people because part of what happens in these relationships, and this is what I certainly did, is I thought I was great at identifying troubled behavior. I mean, good Mm -hmm. grief. I made a living at diagnosing people. yeah. And yet I missed it with this person. So then I I felt like I betrayed myself. So then I started to doubt my ability to see and spot problems. So then what you do is you just like don't trust anything about yourself. You just like stop altogether which yes. I can make your world really small because then you're not going to go out and take risks. Like my thought about your daughter is the thing we need to be teaching ourselves and our children is how to trust our own instincts. My instincts yes. were going off right away, yes. but I had learned to not pay attention to them. But how can we get better at those of us who've turned it down to turn mm-hmm. it
0: back up, but those of us who are learning to start to learn to that gut instinct. So to answer your question, I actually have several pieces of that answer because I actually just did a podcast interview with someone who absolutely became agoraphobic after Mm. her uh, toxic relationships. And she went through a lot of therapy and she's an advocate now. She's extremely passionate. But it's interesting that you asked me that question because I was like, yes, someone on the podcast is coming up. And she absolutely felt that way. For me, Um, I, the more I've learned about myself and the more I think about my, my emotional abuser was actually my boss. And the more I think about the different friendships that I've had over the years, I actually, I'm not afraid of leaving the house, but I am afraid of meeting new people. I am mm. afraid of making new friends. I actually wrote a whole article about that. Um, I will leave a link in the show notes if anybody wants oh, to read I that. that. I love yeah. To see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll send it to you because, um, because what you said about trusting your own instincts, I really started to doubt myself, especially while I was in my own abusive situation um, because I didn't have the support. So it was in the workplace. I had the support of my husband, but I did not have the support of my coworkers. So I absolutely, uh, stopped, trusting myself. And the only reason why I was able to get out of there is because I had a great therapist and my husband was supportive and they helped me to realize that this was not a good situation. Um, and that I should trust my instincts and that I should, that I should get out. So that's, that's, um, the answer to your question about, um, people wanting uh, people after they end their relationships, being afraid to put themselves out there. Of course, as always depends on the person, but yes, uh, it certainly does happen with uh, at least some people that I've seen.
1: Yeah. And you you sharing that it was at a work situation. I, Oh yeah. What's interesting is, okay. So I've had some of this experience in a, in a organization. So I know what that feels like to be part of a system that's sick. But, yes. but mine was more most intensely in a romantic relationship but what i've noticed is that when it occurs in a system like a family or work or say it's like a neighborhood organization or something when that starts to go wrong and then you have know, got the group dynamic the pressure that comes in around that person who's experiencing who's been targeted as yeah. the victim yeah wow it's that's Super challenging, and it
0: it really, ugh. really, it really, really was. And um, I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there's been an an interesting new wrinkle that's um, caused me to think about the um, the whole experience. So, uh, my abuser was my boss at Rolling Stone magazine. He's not there anymore. I don't name him, but he was definitely middle management. However, the recent news about the things that Jan Wenner said, uh, in the New York Times about how, uh, black and, uh, female artists just aren't as articulate and didn't contribute as, uh, as much to the rock and roll music scene as his favorite artist, as we all know, <laughs> is complete bullshit. Um, Man. yeah, what? it really got me thinking about, okay, Why was my boss able to treat me the way that he did? Because Jan Wenner created that kind of a toxic work environment. So my boss was given free reign to treat me because I was a woman as a second class citizen. So it it's it's yeah, it's it's like a poison that just, you know, these kinds of attitudes that just seep, seep through every element and every nook and cranny of these workplaces. And uh, there were many articles that have been written about Jan Wenner in in recent days that call him narcissistic. And I absolutely uh, agree with that assessment. My boss was a narcissist. Um, That's what my therapist called him. So I consider him to be one. And yeah, so... But the the lack of support is something that I do talk about a lot on this podcast because that was just as painful yeah. as, um, as the actual abuse because no one wanted to get involved. And also since this was um, – I left nine years ago because it wasn't um, a physical abuse situation. Everyone just thought I should get over it. And that's yeah. why I wanted to – create this podcast because I never thought that was fair.
1: Right. And I think there's another dynamic, a couple other dynamics, dynamics that happen in these relationships or mm-hmm. in these environments is that the person who's the seems to hold the most power, everybody knows that they need to stay on this person's good side. Yes. And the rewards for staying on the person's good side usually are worth it enough. At least somehow we end yeah. up finding that their attention as highly gratifying. I don't understand why, because it's not like they're any more special than anyone else, but somehow whenever they turn that spotlight of their uh, approval on us, we just sort of glow and we love it. We, we, we seek it out. And, and we also know at the same time to be on the wrong side of that is really dangerous because we see what's happening to that person and we don't want to be the scapegoat. So it ends up creating this very toxic uh, Setup that's extremely hard to break out the victim basically is silenced from all directions because it's yeah. working against that individual it's it's a horrific situation and i know we don't i'm glad you're talking about it because i don't think we talk about it enough we focus so much on the romantic relationship sure. and we also then don't talk enough about female narcissists who exist almost oh. as readily as male <laughs> narcissists oh, absolutely. do absolutely so here's this whole class of men who are in a relationship with somebody who's going you know so it's it's there's a lot of avenues and sides to this. We, I think it's an extremely complex problem. I think yes. it's a very it's a crisis. I, someone mm-hmm. just told me that. I think it was Dr. Romney is calling this ah. a health healthcare crisis that we yeah. have. And I agree. Yeah. It is.
0: I, it really it really is because for years I felt like I was screaming into a void, and I was just like, no, 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 this is a real problem, and. No one wanted to talk about it because, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they, if they were afraid, they didn't th- you know, some people just didn't think this was a big deal. I'm like, oh, well, you know, you're fine. You're not being physically harmed. It wasn't sexual abuse. So what's the big deal? So you just learn, you just learn to live with it. And, you know, when I had my therapist say, I think you need to be on medication. And when she was saying, you know, this is an untenable situation for you that was when I knew that it was, it was time to leave. I mean, Mm -hmm. because of the boys club element as well, I could, you know, my, my career was completely stagnant. I, it, it flourished the second I left. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm finding by doing this podcast that of course, a lot of people coming are coming on and talking about romantic relationships. And I totally get that. But, um, I'm usually talking about a workplace situation because I've been fortunate enough where um, I have not had an emotionally abusive uh, romantic relationship. But a lot of people also come on because they talk about uh, their parents and how they treated them. And because earlier generations just don't – they don't have the emotional capacity to support their children the way that – that they need to be supportive. And we don't blame our parents. I certainly don't. And, But I've had several guests come on and they talk about their relationships with their parents at length. And it's been such an eye-opener for me and for everybody. So, yeah. And I appreciate you letting me know that the workplace element does need to be discussed more. Because, it does. I mean, yeah.
1: the, the, the research coming out about what happens in these relationships, because I've actually had this debate with another psychologist, mm. because a DSM-5 doesn't really identify, it's not a, d, narcissist abuse is not in it at all. Right. And we don't even recognize the fact that somebody can be traumatized by a relationship. If you look at the PTSD definition, it doesn't really, it says life life dangerous, you know, kind of life altering, dangerous situations. Well, you can look at these relationships and say, well, you weren't going to die there. I mean, that mm-hmm. work wasn't, I mean, maybe ultimately is going to create health problems that would have had shortened your life, but you weren't eminently facing the threat of death at that job or nor was, actually I was, I didn't realize I was facing threat of death in the middle of a relationship, but I, mm-hmm. my ex was probably attempting, attempting something to harm me on purpose. So, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it at the time. So That doesn't qualify as a PTSD event, but it should, because they're finding that the the survivors of narcissistic abuse rate of trauma is higher than the general public's response just to a very dramatic situation. I mean, if you and I went through an airplane crash, 40% of the people who survive that will struggle with PTSD, 60% will go on and do just fine. But yet those who come out of a narcissistically abusive relationship, 75%, Struggle with trauma, trauma symptoms. Wow. So why is the difference? I, I think the difference is because what happens in these relationships are so profoundly intimate in the, the in the way that they erode our sense of self and our value yes. and our belief in ourselves that they they destroy our sense of trust in ourselves, of even us feeling we know ourselves. We become unrecognizable the longer we're in the relationship, that that does profound damage. I know victims often say, I just wish they would have hit me. It would have been simpler. Mm. It would have been cleaner. I would have understood what I was in the relationship, what was going wrong here. But I think it's all the subtleties that makes this so extremely damaging to the person's psyche.
0: Yeah. And I can give you plenty of examples of little things that trigger me and everyone, my loved ones are like, why are you letting that bother you? Like an example I always give is, um, I mean, this is back in during like the 2016 debates uh, when Donald Trump would just go wrong, wrong. That's what my boss (laughs) would do to me. That's what my boss would do to me. And I'd be like, oh my God, I can't hear this. Like when I would hear my 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 boss's um ringtone from his like ar- archaic flip phone i would like you know get into a panic and no one would understand that because it was so embedded the experience was so embedded because i couldn't i couldn't get away from him yeah. and yeah i mean it, it's just so i i appreciate that you pointed that fact out because we really do suffer from a significant amount of trauma. So, what I, I'd love to to know is, like, I, I know you mentioned your podcast. So, what specifically are you doing to help raise awareness about narcissistic abuse? Is it uh is it, so is it mainly social media based or is it something that you're doing in your um in your practice? Well, I closed my practice when my late husband passed
1: away. Okay. Um yeah, so I've not I've not and then when I got into that relationship, I actually moved internationally. And then okay. I came back to, where I came back to the United States for for other reasons, but Mm. it it just wasn't going to work to me open a practice here where I'm living now. So, and at this point, I don't have a desire to go back to that. So these days I primarily Mm. write, uh, promote awareness and all of it through, is through social media, which is where I spend most of my time. So I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Instagram, TikTok. Um, Right now I'm battling with Facebook to get my Facebook account back. It's been stolen and hacked. But ho- hopefully I'll be, it's still growing. It's so ironic. I can't access right. and I'm watching it grow. It's like, that's so frustrating.
0: Oh God, but- <laughs> I'm so
1: sorry. Yeah,
0: I have yeah, yeah, I have my own issues with Facebook because there's a page for this podcast, but all it is is uh, I get the same spam messages of mm. the people saying, yes, I was in a, an emotionally abusive relationship, but I found a hacker and he yeah. can help me. I get that all the time. Yeah, yeah, you have
1: to put a filter on those comments to filter them out. It's yeah. a hassle though, because they'd get really good at bypassing filters.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do primarily these days. My okay. biggest focus at this moment is the podcast, Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse. That's really my baby. I now have a co host, and we've just been, you know, going working very hard at that. And, and, and we just started a sub stack newsletter so that we're putting out blog articles now on a weekly basis. In
0: addition to that. Wonderful. Wonderful. mm -hmm. Yeah. We, it sounds like you and I are doing a lot of the same things. I've got this podcast. I have a newsletter as well. So Mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Um, So can you give uh, me the handles so everyone can come find you? Yeah, absolutely. Carrie McAvoy, PhD. It's the same everywhere. Carrie McAvoy,
1: PhD. And if you want to find the podcast, it's Breaking Free from NARC Abuse is how you find it on
0: social media. Okay. No problem. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. I can't thank you enough. And yeah, everybody, go listen. Hey, listen to my (laughs) podcast and go listen to Dr. McAvoy's podcast. Thank you so much for
1: having me here. I really deeply appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Carrie McAvoy on Emotional Abuse is Real. If you would like to connect with Dr. McAvoy or check out her podcast, Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, I've left links in the show notes. If you would like to share your own emotional abuse story here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out at hello at com, via our Facebook page, Emotional Abuse Is Real, or through Instagram at Serene Leads Rights. Please note that this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional mental health services. If you are a victim of emotional abuse and need help, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988, or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T to 887 Once again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram and on Facebook. Sign up for my free newsletter. And if you can, please support us through our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.